never thought I'd uh, get to this stage, but we need more Hugh. Well, always. What? Always. I know. Incredible. Incredible. More Hugh. Who, who else was brilliant at getting into a crossing position, but then crossed like a complete goon? Actually, have I told you the great when I spoke to Graham Potter about Dan James, who looks like he's going to United? Clang and clang. Clang, clang. Um, was saying he's really incredibly quick, but he has great quality and apparently they showed him a lot of clips of Theo Walcott Andy Aaron Hinchcliffe. Lennon not me because I was pinpoint accuracy with my crossing they didn't want him to become someone who's really fast and then basically crosses it behind yeah. the behind the goal so they're working on his end product because the, the, they know he's fast so it's just actually yeah. right you're going to get there this is what you need to practice not the running there yeah. is this bit but it's hard to go quickly and then stop and then I, f- I mastered it pretty easy, wow. but then many ligaments shattered. Because you'd gone too quickly too Because uh, I'd gone too and quickly. And stopped. Yeah. Were, you, were you a quick player? Oh, I, I think I was. Why are, you, why are you frowning? He has to be. He's five foot eight. You have I'm nothing not else five to foot give. eight. I'm a good five foot eleven and a half. What? Massive. <laughs> I'm massive. <laughs> Those, including your it, wife, immediately stop what they're doing. I'm Look five up 11. like a meerkat Definitely. and wonder what on earth you're talking about. Definitely. According to Wikipedia, Chinch, you are not five foot eleven. According to Wikipedia... I was many things. None of them are actually true. No, that's... Well, mm. we already know that most of it's true. Mm. Uh, so it says that you are 1 metre 78. What's that? 5 foot 6 10. foot foot... What? 5 10 and a half, probably. Does yeah. somebody from Wikipedia come round with a tape measure? 5 it's foot 10. They should do. 5 sh- foot 10. There should be a, a measuring department yeah. at Wikipedia to go around measuring people. W- Tom Cruise, me... <laughs> We're here to take the gas electric and to check that you are actually yes. 1 metre 78. Can you, can you take off your platform heels, please? We need to measure you. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The club football season is over. Everybody take a nice breath. And like someone who's enjoyed the local Indian all-you-can-eat buffet a little too much, it's time to recline, loosen your belt a notch, and fall asleep ten minutes into the latest episode of Killing Eve. Hopefully that reference works more than just here. And also, like that exact same someone, we are guilty of a self-indulgent exhale here at Set Piece Menu. Because over the next few weeks... Owing to a Women's World Cup, a working stint in London, the odd holiday, not just to Portugal, we will be harder to organise than a Wyeth family Christmas. So you'll have to muddle through with us as we work a very successful Claudio Ranieri circa 2003-inspired rotation system. So for the next two episodes, we are at Casa della Hinchcliffe which is currently awash with the aroma of salt-cured pork, or bacon, as it's known in Cheshire, as it prepares to be well and truly bapped. Uh, so joining <laughs> the food, and me, Hugh Ferris, are former England international 5'10 of Andy Hinchcliffe, brown sauce, and football commentator Stephen Wyeth. How dare you even suggest sauce of any variety? It's insulting you want the food in any other way than how it comes. Delubricate me now, man! Do get in touch with the podcast at setpiecemenu, setpiecemenu at gmail.com, or on Facebook, just search for Set Piece Menu. We have an email from John White, and it goes thusly, uh, which is a word that I know, Chinch, that you are particularly fond of. Hi, Hugh, Rory, Stephen, and Andy. I was listening to episode 131 about training and the differences between the modern footballer and those that come before them. I think Chinch very much falls into that latter category. As a lifelong Southampton fan, I couldn't help but think back to our club legend and talisman, Matthew Letizier, and wonder just how much better he could have been if he was conditioned in the way of a modern player. Letizier has admitted himself that he'd have the occasional McDonald's breakfast before training. (laughs) And it was so good that he didn't need to put as much into it as everyone else. I wonder what you guys think he could have gone on to achieve had he received the training and conditioning modern players receive and if there are any other examples of players who didn't quite achieve everything they could have done due to lack of quality training. P.S. Love the pod. Keep up the good work. John, bearing the lead there, probably would have gone first with that. Best 
from John. Duncan Ferguson was a good example of this at Everton, who was who was brilliant of his type, six foot four, leading the line. He was as good as you're going to find. And actually, when Joe Royal Willie Donnicky came to Everton and changed the, the the style of training, the way that we trained. Duncan still wasn't that keen on training, even though it was having huge benefits for everybody. So he didn't throw himself into it, again, because a lot of stuff came easy to him. He was physically really strong, could hold the ball, could score goals, brilliant in the air. So he didn't, again, push himself. He didn't like doing finishing practices, which for a striker is like, well, that's all you want to do. Duncan didn't even want to be out there doing finishing practices, which is kind of strange. But again, if he'd have really applied himself... He, he would have been comfortably the best in the world of that type of centre forward but is it the problem like with Letizia if you're so good and you're doing great things do you then think well is it really worth putting because it is all about the extra effort that you have to put in physically and Matt I was with him with England I've never the technique they had like Paul Scholes was a beautiful striker with the ball but he did look like a he was a pear shaped wasn't he Matt Letizia <laughs> He was more pear-shaped than me, which is saying something. So again, he'd have to work. The one thing he'd have to do would be work physically harder. And I'm not sure it was ever in his makeup. That's maybe why he never left Southampton. He could offers were there to move to bigger clubs. It would have been a huge challenge for him to step up. He would have to have been physically completely different. And I'm not sure he was that keen on the running side of it. But with the ball at his feet just as good as you're going to get. Why would you want to change one of the great mavericks of English football? And you might have lost him to the game if you'd insisted that he worked harder. There are certain exceptions that you just accept them as they are. The, the, the natural gifts that they've got, the ability that they've got, let them express themselves. Because I suppose the only frustrating thing is, is, is I play with kind of Di Canio, Letizier, Benny Carboni, Paul Gascoigne. They're so much better than I ever was that actually it's frustrating to see someone with clearly that much more talent, but not wasting it, but just only because the game is so easy that they, they only need to go so far to still be better than everybody else. But again, it's that next mental step where they think, well, you know what? I want to get the very best out of me and I know I'm better than everybody else to start with, but I'm going to push myself on. I think it tends to be players who don't have the kind of ability that Letizia had that drive themselves on to improve where Matt didn't need to improve because he was still the, the big fish there and playing for England and scoring wonderful goals so he's probably thinking well I, I don't need to do anything else because I'm doing enough if you'd asked him he clearly was not a player driven by ambition no. because he wouldn't have stayed at Southampton for the duration of his career not with better offers from better clubs but he's happy, on he the was table. happy there wasn't he he was happy and if you had tried to turn him into something he wasn't he might just have walked away from the game and imagine the goals imagine the highlight reel imagine the, the goals that pop up on Twitter that we would not have access to if Matt Letizia had been driven away from football it's also a product of his circumstances he? he was allowed to get away with it because such was the way that football was played you could get away with it yeah. because yes of his talent but were he to be that talented in the modern era do you you have to ask the question would he have been given the license to do that and would he have even had a career in the first place it's just whether if he was playing to I, I don't I don't feel that modern football from younger players would produce that type of I don't think he was produced he just had that natural talent so that player could come along again but the way that football is coached and trained and the demands of the game he'd have to cover more ground because they would analyse it to death and they'd know that he's not doing the running off the ball that they need him to do. So then he, he becomes a bit of a liability, a bit of a luxury player, which teams don't tend to have luxury players anymore. They, they need to, off the ball, cover X amount of ground. If you're not doing that, you're not doing enough. It doesn't matter how good you are on the ball, it's your work off the ball that they, they really analyse. So that's where he would fall down. Would he be able to, would he fit into a, a top club these days, the way that football is played? How many players of his type do we see in the, in the top, even at Man City, the top clubs? They don't have players of his type anymore. 
let's look at the example of Ravel Morrison at Manchester United. Naturally gifted, the exceptional player coming through the youth system at Manchester United, but in a very different way to Matt Letizia, was unable to apply himself in a way that made him suitable to the modern game. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson became exasperated with him and eventually they moved him on. He's drifted around football without ever really being able to find a home and, and he's, he's a lost talent. So perhaps that's the way that things have changed since Letizia was coming through Southampton's ranks compared to, to, say, an example of a Ravel Morrison coming through United. Yeah, I think playing at that time, that was the right time for him to play. If he was playing today with that... I don't think you, you couldn't have that attitude because it would have been instilled in you that this is not the way football is played from 14, 15 years old. You need to, again, physically develop to be able to, to, to cover the ground that a coach needs. Would, you know, if he went to Man City, if he, that type of player wouldn't even... Man City wouldn't even look at that type of player because they'd say, well, we know what he can do with the ball at his feet and set pieces, but actually we need all-round players. Look at Aguero, the, the, the development in Aguero's game, the amount of ground he covers now compared to what he did before. So there you have a natural goal scorer, different to Letizia, but the Guardiola, first thing is, you're not covering enough ground, you've got to lead the line defensively, so you need to run. And he's stepped up his, his running stats and everything else has fallen off the back of that. So Letizia, what he'd have to do physically, he wouldn't be, I just, I'm not sure, he wouldn't down tools, but it just wouldn't be for him at all, I don't think. Yeah, so maybe we would never see uh, a Letizia in, in a sort of Premier League environment ever again, but perhaps lower down, they might tumble down the game and and be brilliant at sort of League Two level. Well, that's why Letizia staying at Southampton, was he? Was that the right thing? Because if he'd gone to a top six club, he would have had to adapt his game and change to, to, to fit what they needed from him. They want all that natural ability, but also we need this from you as well. Did he maybe see that and thought, I, I don't want to change. I want to be what I am. And for me to be this, I've got to stay where I am. I'm happy at Southampton and they allow me to do what I do here because I'm, I'm so good. And the way that we play, we kind of, we, we fit a team around him. Sheffield Wednesday did it to a degree with De Canio and Carboni as well. They knew they were match winners, so the, the rest of us kind of fitted around them and we knew what they could give. So maybe Letizia staying at Southampton was the right thing and the best thing for him. And I, th- I think the chance that he had to leave, one was to Newcastle, but the, the, the one that he really considered was to Spurs because that was his team growing up because of Glenn Hoddle, yeah. uh, that he was offered that chance at a time where Alan Ball had genuinely made, fashioned the Southampton team around him to give him the most freedom possible. And that was when he prospered in the mid-90s um, to the greatest extent in his career. And of course, he nearly went to the 1998 World Cup and he is alongside a good many luminaries in that, that position, I'd imagine. But also, just very quickly, Chinch, um, somebody who was athletically proven and brilliant was Des Walker. And Des Walker never trained, did he? He didn't. He's one of the few that I've ever seen, whether we go back to how we used to train with the, the vast volume of running we used to do to how it was tailored towards the end of my career, the, the quality was there. Des kind of covered the kind of, same kind of time period. He played for longer than me, but over the same as football was changing, coaching was changing, training was changing. I've never seen anybody do virtually nothing from Monday to Friday and yet be your best player, be sharp, be quick. I don't know anybody else. You have to train to play. That, that any athlete you have to train to play Des Walker was unusual I just can't think of anybody else who, who, who could do that would be allowed to do that because he was a pain in the ass. so there's no way that Ron wanted him out on the training pitch because he just caused problems so actually they didn't want him there which fit perfectly because he didn't need to train to produce incredibly consistent performances all his England performance all his England caps were consecutive 
So again, not training meant he never got injured during the course of the week. It was unlikely he'd get injured on a match day. But to keep up that level of performance, both for club and country, over 10 years, is uh, there's not, I've never seen a, another individual who's done that. But he didn't have McDonald's for breakfast. I don't... He <laughs> might have... Actually, he's just one of those... Sometimes you're just these physically fit players who maybe don't need to do an awful lot. And he was, he was lean. He never put on any weight. So maybe, again, physiologically, he was, he was built for the type of training that he, he, he didn't do. If you want to see somebody doing virtually nothing Monday to Friday over the course of the next couple of months, yeah. come round mine. So you're the mo- you're, you are the modern, the modern Des, Des Walker. Walker yeah, yeah. There's, there's a couple of major differences, which I won't go into now, Steve. Uh, yes, thankfully. Uh, Hal Getz, who uh, may well be the founder member of the Rory Smith fan club, has got in touch for the first time without starting an email with Dear Rory Smith's podcast. Uh, so perhaps we're beginning to dilute Rory's global influence, which is something to be uh, applauded, I'd imagine. Hal says, in response to our pod about Club Men, episode 128, Dear Set Piece Menu, in my own fandom and playing experience, I've seen the highs and lows of the Club Man. At one end, as a DC United fan, I've seen Ben Olsen, as a former player and long-time coach in MLS, know how to exploit its unique features to take DC from worst to third between 2013 and 2014, among other good seasons. At the other end was my high school soccer coach. He had coached the school to several city titles in the 1970s, thanks to a generation of very talented players, when the city was mostly a soccer desert. Somehow, he had the job again between 2009 and 2011. Practice was a couple of laps, some stretching, and then an hour and a half of scrimmaging, he says, which makes it sound more football than soccer. Uh, When we tried to have him replaced, his record decades ago was pointed to. I'm not sure I'll ever forgive my school's athletic director. Uh, That's from Hal. So basically, he just let the players play. Just let them play. That that's that the second one is very much you know Ron's attitude to um, uh, to Des Walker. But also it's the Howard Kent. What he tended to work, and that's the way it was done. Maybe was just get good players. They should know how to play. So just go and play. We'll just get through the week. We'll do some training. Do some five sides. But also I won't coach fact- it individually or collectively. But you're so good that you know what you're doing. So I, I've the, what they they put faith in their recruitment and say, well, if we sign Andy Gray, if we sign Peter Reid, if we sign Paul Bracewell. We, we know, we, we know what we're Andy, getting. Andy, Andy, not, not so much. You need to coach but, him. But what He's Hal's also talking about... just let him play. Hal is also talking about the fact that because he had done well previously, he was given carte blanche to then do something particularly bad by his reckoning but then you, uh, later on. But that's just taking results, isn't it? And saying he must be good because he's had all these results. But you've got to look beyond that. Clubs don't do that anymore when they're looking at players or coaches. They look way beyond that to actually see what the performances were like. Does that fit with the modern game? Surely you have to. You don't just say, well, he did well 15 years ago, so he's fine today because the game has changed so much. Thanks, Hal. Also, thanks once again for our little shout out from Johnny Nicholson on his season review on Football 365. Your new season's re- resolution, should you have one, is to read more of Johnny Nicholson on Football 365 mainly because he mentions us. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com is our email address at setpiecemenu on Twitter. Now, our subject today is prompted by Mark Wilcoxon, who you may well remember has emailed before about Neil Warnock. And he emails again, and there's mention of Warnock in there for a second time, but don't worry, it's only just a little part of it. Good evening, SPM, he says, obviously writing in the evening. I'd be interested to gauge an opinion on what you make of the teams promoted from the championship this term. As a Sheffield United fan, biased opinions may well become a running theme within my emails, but I feel this Sheffield United team carry a very different DNA to the one that Neil Warnock managed and continued to uh, with the Cardiff team 
of this year. I feel us, as well as Norwich, have played a very good brand of football this year, and I'm keen to see what you make of our chances next year. I'd like to think with the way that we have played this year, insert comments regarding overlapping centre-backs, uh, that we may well stand a chance in the big league with investment. What are your thoughts? That's from Mark, who sent that, incidentally, before Aston Villa had won the Championship playoff final, uh, hence no... Uh, mention of Aston Villa. So just days after the last club season comes to an end, let's look ahead to an aspect of the next one. We've re-notched our belts, sat up straight and gone back for another plate of Sagaloo. How will the promoted sides from the Championship fare in the Premier League next season? And given the varying fortunes of clubs like Fulham and Burnley, mm. is there a blueprint for success? All three clubs who've got promoted, Norwich, Sheffield United and Villa, are worth looking at individually. Because the, the, the circumstances, we're going to structure this. The circumstances of them getting promoted are, are different in every case. And also the lessons that they, that's why Fulham from last season, getting promoted, the season in the Premier League that they've had, the way they conducted themselves, their transfer business, the clubs that have just come out of the championship, they will look at Fulham and say, we, we clearly don't want to do that. Dismantle everything that's good about us getting promoted and trust that that's going to work in the Premier League and change it all and it go absolutely horrible. I think it's criminal. What happened at Fulham is absolutely criminal. From seeing how good they were, I covered them a lot in that season they went up. They were as good a championship side as I've seen for maybe 10 years. To dismantle that and buy in the players that they did and get relegated in the fashion that they did to me is just that but, that but that's what can happen if you dismantle something that clearly works in the championship thinking we've got to do it differently in the Premier League just I don't out of see interest who, who would have been behind that would that have been Slavisa Jukanovic or would that well have been he was dispensed with higher, higher up it was what, the he was there for the recruitment it was though. the onus well for the stories I've heard it was the onus son obviously the money that was, was earned from getting promoted to the Premier League 150 million at least they spent about 105 million on players but the, the stories I heard was the, the owner's son playing a bit of fancy football thinking right we've got promoted this is easy I can get a whole new bunch of players in and we'll take the Premier League by storm and we'll be fine we need to change because when I, I don't feel we're good enough and they did they got rid of kind of Tom Kearney wasn't in the side Ryan Sessegnon wasn't in the side Kevin McDonald wasn't in the side all the players that were Fulham from the previous season were dispensed with a whole new load of players came in who clearly just simply weren't good enough and also collectively they were really poor as well it's not just individually weren't good enough you put them into a team and the team completely fell apart as well but that didn't come from it seemed to be an individual's given free reign to decide on how they attack the Premier League and that's what he decided to do I'd love to know whether this is and that's the stories I'd heard and, and a lot of people have told me similar so I'm presuming this is the case but um as soon as you get rid of your head coach, the guy that's... And that happened at Watford as well with Yukanovic. You got Watford up, tried to negotiate a contract, and they dispensed with him, but they've stayed in the Premier League. With Fulham, got promoted. He was dispensed with. And then all this recruitment went on, and the club just completely fell flat. So can I just ask you about Fulham? Because I'm sure this is a theme that we will discuss in terms of the best approach to staying in the Premier League. Do you think the players that they came up with from the Championship were good enough to be Premier League players or do you believe that the philosophy they had that, that got them promoted and the momentum that comes with that would have been enough to keep them in the Premier League? Well you League? look at Wolves are the other team that came up with Fulham that season Cardiff as well but Cardiff were a different kind of played the game in a very different way Wolves kept about six or seven of the team that had got them to the Premier League and they added a new goalkeeper I think Jimenez joined played up front so actually they, they signed key players but again to fit in with the system that they'd used in the Championship But they were able to recruit the kind of players that most promoted clubs would look to recruit in the summer after being promoted Possibly. the season before because they had their injection of cash they did. prior to that happening. So they're, they're almost like doing it 
but well, a season early. Well, they spent a lot of money, huge amounts of money. I think Helder Costa was like 13 million, and the people were saying, "What on earth are you doing, spending this money in the championship?" But they were planning for getting these players through the door. Uh, Ruben Neves was there as well. Martinez come in since they've been promoted. But again, as Steve was saying about the philosophy was there in the championship for Wolves that remained. They just brought higher quality individuals to enhance certain positions. But they still kept six or seven of the previous team. Fulham dispensed with pretty much everybody. Brought Mitrovic back, who was a big success for them. Um, but the actual team itself, it just didn't play in the way that it had played in the Championship. And that's what, I, if you look at Norwich, you look at Sheffield United and Villa, they will stick to their philosophy, but try and do what Wolves have done and say, well, we do need probably four or five players of better quality, but we're still going to play. If it works in the Championship, and it's not just in the Championship, it's it's... it's successful modern football in, in my eyes slightly different formations but still playing high intensity high tempo possession based everything you would presume is the Premier League they've, they've already been doing that Chris Wilder's been doing it for three years in League One he started doing this so he's taking it all the way through and I've spoken to him with the, the, the championship playoff final speaking to him about his recruitment process and what would change and he said well what, why change what clearly works and we just want to test ourselves he wants to test himself against the Premier League he doesn't want to rip it all up and start again but he wants to add four or five players of better quality similar to Wolves so it's keeping what's good and then adding something to that mix that, that improves the team individually and collectively so how important then Chinch is coaching in relation to players and player recruitment are we saying that Chris Wilder has demonstrated by bringing teams up from the fifth tier all the way now to bringing a team into the Premier League not the same team incidentally but during the course of his coaching career that he's proven that he is worth a crack at the Premier League. Has the players he's currently got at Sheffield United earned that right as well? Or will he have to roll the dice in terms of making some difficult decisions? Well, morally, you'd say, yes, those players have earned the right because they are very good players. They're not League One players playing in the Premier League. They are now Premier League players and I watched them play an awful lot. Saw them in League One. You could see the development last season in the Championship. They've stepped it up again. But he recruited those players to play a certain way. He changed to three at the back. So he recruited certain players, certain centre-halves to do what he wanted to do. And it was no one else was doing it in the English game. It's not been done across the world, overlapping centre-halves. It's really unusual. So hard to play against as well. But that's what he wanted to do. So he recruited to play that way. Nothing has changed in the, in the, in the, in the years that they've been promoted. So he'll again look to say, well, we'll keep that but maybe we'll need you know, another centre-half of better quality. But he's very keen on, on buying British players, players that aren't over 25. So he's still looking for the same hungry players with maybe a point to prove. He's not going to sign any players who are kind of 30-plus mercenaries, Tom, too much money, because he, he feels they won't invest themselves in what Sheffield United are all about. So he's built this kind of DNA about what Sheffield United are all about. Allied to that is the, the quality football he wants to play as well. So he's very keen on getting the right characters in to fit the system, but be of the right mentality to fit the group mentality that he has there, which again is, is slightly different from, from Norwich in terms of the philosophy, but Norwich is an, an incredible success story because that's happened virtually overnight. Have we, have we segued into our second club of the we three? Can, we can certainly try. It's we beautiful. Anything try. more to add, Steve, on Sheffield United? I, I'm sure a lot of it's what structure. we could add on Sheffield United would also apply to Norwich, so let's which move is, on. Which is a double segue into Norwich. You, you're saying that, that, bearing in mind everything that Steve, Steve said about Chris Wilder and also Sheffield United being able to make their journey through the leagues and a successful coaching philosophy, which has yielded dividends, that 
coaching philosophy at Norwich is very much based on something that has happened quickly, but isn't just the coach. It is it's absolutely not the coach. And wider than no, that. the coach has recruited for the philosophy. I spoke to Stuart Weber a lot because he was at Huddersfield, worked with David Wagner there to get them to get Huddersfield promoted, which is is a bigger story than Norwich because if you look at what Huddersfield had at the time, it was incredible to to get Huddersfield into the Premier League. But again, it was down to Stuart Weber, the plan, David Wagner, the the recruitment process. They knew what they wanted to do. That worked brilliantly. Stuart moved on to Norwich, and Norwich knew what they were getting because he proved himself at Huddersfield. So the philosophy was set there when they went into into Norwich. Daniel Farker was then recruited to go along with that. So it wasn't Daniel Farker then set everything up. The process was already there with Stuart Webber and Farker was part of that. Then the players that they brought in, again, fed into the philosophy. But they were genuinely looking at a mid-table top 10 finish. I've spoken to him so many times and I said, well, you're top of the table. You still, he said, absolutely, that's what we, we thought it would be, a two-year, three-year process to give ourselves a chance of going up. But when you have a philosophy that works well and is right, it just shows what can, can be achieved. Norwich win the league when really themselves, because Stuart said this can't surely like Huddersfield happen instantly. But it did because everything was right and he'd already been through the process of it working at Huddersfield. So he just he set it all up again at Norwich with really good people who throw themselves into it. A lot of good young players as well. The two young fullbacks at Norwich are excellent. So they had a, a blend of everything, but it's a, it's a blend that they put together. Nothing was by chance. So I was saying in, in when we got to January and they were in the top two, are you going to buy three or four players? They said, well, no, that, that was never the plan. Whether we're 10th or top, our plan is to just carry on what we're doing. We're not going to spend any money. That was not in the business plan. And look at where they are now. So now they maybe have to rethink again, like maybe Wolves. Now we've made it. We're, we're way ahead of schedule, but we've got to look at maybe three or four players. If you want to stay in the Premier League, we have to keep what's good about us, keep our young players, but maybe buy three or four to give ourselves maybe a chance of, of staying up. Because once you get there, you want to stay there. No matter how you get there, it can happen within a year or 10. If it happens, they're now looking to stabilise themselves in the Premier League, but they didn't expect to be in this position, so they're playing kind of catch-up. Perhaps even more so than Sheffield United, Norwich should be the ones looking to, towards Fulham as being the cautionary tale. Because they're ahead of the curve, because they have done so tremendously well beyond their own expectations, and because they do have that thing of unity and momentum that has taken them to this point, they perhaps would be foolish they won't, they won't, too Steve. many. They, they absolutely won't. The philosophy is set. Whatever league they were in, League One or the Premier League, their philosophy is what it is. So exactly. It will not change. But let's, speaking to Stuart, we had a manager, there was a game we did recently and we managed to sit down with him for about 45 minutes and he was telling me about the, the training ground because they sold James Madison to, to Leicester and he was kind of their star man. A lot of Norwich fans and the, even the players were thinking, we've lost Madison, we've no chance of getting anywhere now. And what they did, because they were redeveloping the, the training ground in terms of the, the buildings and how they designed the buildings, but what they did over the summer after Madison had left, they didn't allow the players to see the buildings until the first day of pre-season. They consciously did this. So basically on the opening day of pre-season, they unveiled all these amazing buildings that were kind of purpose-built and the players' focus shifted from not thinking Madison's gone, what chance have we got, to thinking, blimey, look at these facilities. So again, psychologically... James Madison is paid for. <laughs> basically, yes. But they, <laughs> well, they 20, wanted... 20 million, wasn't he? Than, for 20 million. And they sold Murphy's left as well, didn't they? So they made an awful lot of money. Yeah. But again, they thought, right, well, this has happened. We needed to do it. We needed the money. But again, to switch the focus of the players onto something that's good rather than something that's, that's gone... Again, just shows you that it's not just about the coach that you bring in or the recruitment or the style of football. It's even down to the, the buildings that they put in place to encourage the players to focus on a whole new set of buildings. Where that these, these buildings are for you, we've designed them for you. And the players just, they, they loved it and they, they forgot to think about James Madison and all, all the good players that they lost. So again, it's that thought, they're way ahead of it. And whether most clubs are doing this now 
on every level. They're looking at how everything affects how players think and how players play. And obviously getting them to think and play in the right way can get you promoted. Yeah, Norwich have got the, the luxury, it feels, of coming up without too much pressure because they can afford to have a season in the Premier League. And if it doesn't work out, keep that philosophy in place. If they end up getting relegated because the players aren't quite good enough to play week in, week out at Premier League level, they've got the structure there now to be a top team in the championship again if they were to be relegated and perhaps the next time they come up they come up with even greater gravitas and can maybe then use that as the platform to establish themselves so embrace it enjoy it if, if I was looking at it from a Norwich point of view I wouldn't be panicking too much about saying we need to make sure we finish 17th or above you can come up and give it a a damn good go and you, and you never know how that might transpire it was putting those foundations in place and whatever came they knew those foundations would lead to whether it be success in the championship or success in the Premier League or even if they got relegated they felt that the, the foundations would give them stability in the championship where that led them it's led them to the Premier League but it was going to give them firstly was stability in the championship to compete in a very tough league but again it went so well and all the decisions they made were, were, were so perfect that they, they, they top the league and get promoted. But again, this is what can happen if your philosophy is right and then the players give themselves up and everybody works as one. And that, that's, what Norwich, that's what the story of Norwich is about. Everybody pulling together and working as one. Which, of course, is a very different story for Aston Villa. Oh, oh, oh. Stephen! Because so there's, a, there's a front door there. I'm going to walk out of it and let Stephen <laughs> do those incredible transitions. Once your the... transitions are better than Jurgen Klopp's Borussia Dortmund, <laughs> Stephen. I am the Marco Royce of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Look, if if um, they ca- once the jubilation of what happened in the playoff final evaporates, they've got some serious thinking to do, Aston Villa, yes. because not getting promoted the season before was nearly financially crippling to them. They had been one of those clubs, and we'll get onto those that found themselves now in the position that Aston Villa were in twelve months ago, when they really had gambled everything on promotion to the Premier League and it didn't pan out that way. Derby, Leeds. Well, that, that's the, Derby in particular may well find themselves now thinking what might have been even more than, than they would have done anyway. But Villa, you feel, having got themselves up, can ill afford to go down again. That is a club built on being in the Premier League and having Premier League resources on a season-by-season basis. But once again, Dean Smith has laid the foundations to give them a chance because... It's how they tried to get promoted last time. They bought in all these players on big money. Steve Bruce was the manager, so Lansbury came in. Who else did they sign? Ross McCormack. So they, they bought all these players in, proven championship players. And I think the, the genuine thought was, Steve, well, I put all these players, Scott Hogan, they signed as well from Brentford. They, they just sold thought, it to John Terry. John Terry came John Terry, in more, more or less we'll, to sort of guarantee promotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll stick them all out on that. I don't need to... And Steve, again, very different from, from Dean Smith. He, he thought, I'll get a collection of good championship players. They'll get us promoted. And again, that's why the Fulham-Villa Championship final was very interesting because Fulham, as we talked about, very good team, philosophy, passing game. Villa were never in that game and the right team got promoted. But the change in one season, Steve starting this season, first three months, Villa were going nowhere. Dean Smith goes in and pretty much the same bunch of players changes everything. And I remember speaking to him when he first got the job and he was saying they need to be fitter, they need to be faster, they need to play more intense football. I've got all the tools here, they're just not doing what you need to be successful in football, not just the championship. So he turned 
that team around again by having his philosophy which we'd seen at Brentford laying the foundations and then it was down to the players hard work to carry out what he wanted them to do they've ended up deservedly getting promoted as well so it shows in one season with Steve Bruce for three months Dean Smith for the rest of the season there's the two very different ways of trying to coach a team to success and Villa tried it in, in two different ways financially nearly crippled themselves doing it the first way the way that Dean Smith has done it is how Norwich have done it with a plan. Sheffield United have done it with a plan. And other clubs going up to the Premier League have done it with a plan. So getting Dean in was, we said at the time, he's the only man, not because he's a Villa fan, because he's a really good coach and he lays the foundations that every club he's been at to be successful at a certain level. And that's why Villa, he had to, he had to go to Villa. And I'm not surprised at all in, in what he's done and how he's done it, the football that they've played. And the, the development in players like Jack Grealish, physically, mentally, technically, he's done an incredible job in such a short space of time. You know, to take Aston Villa under a lot of pressure from October and get them promoted in the May, that wasn't straightforward. People say, no, it was easy with the players that you had in your experience. It isn't, it isn't that easy in well, the championship. Well, he had to win 10, 10 games in a row, didn't he? But again, winning 10 that. consecutive games. Villa had never done that before. How many clubs have actually achieved? Incredible what he, he, how he did it as well. There, there were games when they didn't play well, but they ground out results. So mentally, but physically, he said, this team needs to play higher up the pitch. They're too much of a, a team that react to what other teams do. We're going to be proactive. We're going to take the game. And he said they could see it in the players thinking, what are you talking about? It's hard work and it's a different approach. And to get that to work very relatively quickly is, is pretty impressive. I'm intrigued by that uh, playoff final from a year ago between Villa and Fulham. Fulham won it. They had the right philosophy, the right coach in place, the right players. They tore up that philosophy or they sacrificed that philosophy because when reaching the Premier League and the riches that were associated with that came upon them, they were like, right, here we go. Let's go crazy. Let's change. Mm. But what Villa did, they had to change. So they tore up what was previously not necessarily a philosophy, but a plan mm -hmm. to try and go up under Steve Bruce and his methods and his players and his recruitment. And yet they had to tear up that plan in order to succeed. So those two clubs both changed mm -hmm. pretty much at exactly the same point of the season. If you think about when Yukanovic eventually left Fulham yeah. and you think, ah, so you do sometimes have to tear up plan A and go for plan B because plan B may well have been a better plan A in the first place. But it, but it seems all those those plan Bs are becoming plan As now for most clubs. So teams in the championship, we talked about Derby missing out in the, in the championship playoff final with Frank Lampard there. The stories I've heard about how he's looking to structure the club and again get the players fitter and stronger. They've got to sort of, they recruit a lot of lone players there. They, they don't want that situation. You can't, you can't really, it's difficult during the course of a season to get a team promoted with loads of say five or six lone players because you're not sure where they're going to stay with you. So he's going to try and change the recruitment process. But actually the way he wants them to play is, is what's been proven at other teams. So he'll have looked at this season and they did really well to get to that championship club. To beat Leeds over two games was, was pretty impressive. We, did, we didn't see that coming at all. But he'll look at Villa and Sheffield United and Norwich and he'll take that to the, he'll take that to the owners and say, this, this is what we need to do because we need to mirror what they've done because there's three teams that have done it in slightly different ways. But in, in a, the end philosophy that's got them promoted is what clubs like Forest and Derby Brentford have, are there to a degree as well, but maybe haven't got the quality of players or can't sign the quality of players. But still that philosophy, the, the plan B, seems to be now plan A for most teams because it's been proven to be successful time and again at different clubs. We are seeing though, we've seen it in the Premier League this season and there's been evidence of it in the Champions League. Uh, Hugh mentioned jo uh, John Nicholson's uh, takes and hot takes and takeaways of the season. Uh, Football 365. Very much a... Uh a trademarked set-piece menu phrase. 
So what we just have to say, review of the season. Review of the season. Like if it's a hot take and take away, then you can do. But the set piece menu coined hot takes and take away. Nobody's allowed to use that. Just to, just to let you know, the intellectual property lawyers will hunt you down. She was very precious when he, when he manages to put uh, a sort of slightly unusual structure of words together in a sentence. <laughs> That's he really sentence. doesn't like other people using it. No. Uh, but, but John mentioned in, in, his, in his piece that something that we'd learned from this season, and I am inclined to agree with him, is that, do you know what? Throwing a load of money a problem isn't necessarily the best way of solving it and that is particularly true in terms of getting out of the championship so it would appear if you look at the, the teams that have come up if you look at in particular Sheffield United and Norwich and to a lesser extent Aston Villa because they realised just in time that that was the right way to go but that do you know what it, you cannot gamble to get yourself to the promised land of the Premier League assuming that with promotion all of those financial problems will then disappear. Because if that is your mindset, if that is the way that you're going to deal with things and, and as full improved, you then throw a load more money at it to try and stay in the top flight and it goes wrong, you are in deep doo-doo. I'm not sure they actually did it to stay in the Premier League. It would be really, you know, hypothetically, wouldn't it be but, great but to see that? It. The existing Fulham team from the Championship play the Fulham team yeah. that was assembled in the Premier League and see which team would win. I know which team would, would win because the Fulham Championship Crank up football was manager better. Hugh. But actually, it wasn't... It, they, did, they, did they get complacent and think, well, now we've got promoted. They look at the Premier League and say, you know, the bottom eight, we've got a good chance of staying up here. So we've got the luxury of, of playing a bit of fantasy football here and it'll be fine. It'll, it'll be fine because if we spend this much money, certain, a few of the players might not work out but some of them might and we'll, we'll at worst finish fourth and bottom we'll be fine there's some poorer teams than us but look what happened to Fulham so again that has to be you look at what happened with Fulham what Villa tried to do with assembling all those players and spending all the money and, and falling at the final hurdle they didn't deserve to go up that season they, they, they really didn't they did deserve to go up this season with roughly the same players but the coaching the philosophy totally and completely changed so throwing money yes you can throw money in the right direction but maybe it's putting buildings up and actually you look at Norwich actually Timo Pukki who's the top scorer in the championship was a free transfer so if you look at the, the recruitment process for Norwich to get someone to be top scorer in the championship for nothing again shows you clearly your recruitment's working and then your coaching and philosophy method are getting the very best out of a player who didn't cost you anything but so then, that's incredible but then also luck comes into it to a certain extent that's not to disparage in any way Norwich's recruitment process but nobody saw that, that coming there's no evidence really in Timo Pukki's career I'm sure the guy that said to Daniel Farker you know what you should sign Timo Pukki I bet he's been knocking on Daniel Farker's door saying I told you he'd be great didn't I but he Can must, I have a new contract, please? <laughs> but but you'd have if he'd come in and scored twelve goals in the season, it would have been a good bit of business. So to come in and score more than twenty is just phenomenal. And do, look, do you know what? We saw it with with Mohamed Salah in his first season in the Premier League. No one saw that volume of goals coming. It was an anomaly. He's done unbelievably well in the second season to get anywhere close to it. And any you know, and it was ludicrous that people were were talking about how he's failing to have the same sort of influence because it was that first season for Liverpool that was his outlier. And the fact he's been able to to come close to replicating it is phenomenal. So you do need a bit of luck. You know, you can't just say Norwich, brilliant, you've got it absolutely spot on because there will be other, there'll be clubs out there that that like Norwich thought they had a plan and they didn't get quite the same degree of yeah, luck with I players look just, yeah but they I remember speaking to Stuart Webber about Timo Pukin saying you know when he first came in he was a little bit overweight but what, they didn't sign him necessarily for goals they signed him because he fit the philosophy the 4-2-3-1 they wanted to play that's why they signed him and actually his, his goal scoring record didn't come into play they knew once they got him fit that he could 
hassle defenders, could lead the line, could link play. The goals have, have been a real bonus as well. But again, if, you're, if he fits the philosophy, you're going to put him in goal-scoring positions. And he is a finisher as well. But they didn't actually say we need a goal scorer. Like, they signed Jordan Rhodes. He was already at the club. Jordan Rhodes hardly played this season because Timo Pukki fit the plan, not just that he scored the goals. Jordan Rhodes couldn't play the role that Timo Pukki did. So again, he was signed with the philosophy in mind. Yeah, Jordan Rhodes has a remarkable goal-scoring record at championship level. Yeah. You've got to have a plan. The only way that you are going to succeed is with a plan that is well executed and with that certain degree of luck along the way. We've seen it in terms of Manchester City's recruitment, albeit they've had a huge wealth of resource at their disposal. We've seen it in terms of Liverpool setting their sights on a couple of really high-priced targets that they know mm. are going to make a difference, and that's led to them winning the European Cup. We've seen it with Tottenham, who decided, you know what, there's no value for us. What we've got is better than what we can go out and buy, and they've got to a Champions League final, and they've qualified for the Champions League again next season. And we've seen it with the teams that we've been talking about in terms of getting themselves promoted from the Championship. They, were any of those teams at the start of the season the three that you'd have written down for promotion but they've trusted in their plan and even Leeds and Leeds went very that. close and yep. Leeds that I know Bielsa again his track record and, and we know how he how he likes to play his football we knew he could have an impact but still what he did with the same bunch of players from last season he finished 12th was extraordinary that he got them they're in the top two for so long this season incredible what he did at um, again but the plan the philosophy the intensity that's what he was brought in to provide but he'd already we knew all about that but what's great I think about Chris Wilder and Daniel Farker is that people are saying well who are these guys and how good can they be well don't, don't just judge them by looking at them or the fact you've not heard of them before watch their teams play and that's a reflection of what they are because if you listen to Chris Wilder you think oh he's got no place in the Premier League so maybe the days are gone of you have to have a high-profile manager. You have to spend tens of millions. You maybe don't, you just got to maybe spend the money in the right areas, but you have to have a philosophy. And like Daniel Farker, you get a coach that fits your philosophy. It doesn't have to be the biggest name. David Wagner at Huddersfield. People hadn't heard of him, but look at the job that he did. He fit perfectly. So Huddersfield said, well, regardless of what people say, we're trusting our our method and our philosophy and we get everybody we employ fits into that regardless of whether people have heard of them or not that's what Norwich did that's when Chris Wilder went to Sheffield United as well that's why Dean Smith went to Aston Villa because they knew what he could bring the, the philosophy that he could bring so maybe the days of spending your way out of the championship like Aston Villa tried to do or getting a big name guy in because oh he's got experience he'll, he'll clearly get the job done it seems to be more about the collective philosophy than actually the, the, the big individual it would, It's only a three or four, maybe five years ago that I imagine there was that manager who got you out of the championship. The, the, the latest, almost kind of consistent iteration of that is probably Neil Warnock, which brings us back to the conversation start, uh, how the conversation started with Mark's email about the, the, the two Sheffield United teams that have gone up most recently, one, one with Neil Warnock at the helm, one now with Chris Wilder at the helm, Two kind of similar guys, if you think about their gruff yeah. Yorkshire ways, mm -hmm. and yet they have completely different footballing philosophies, but both had the footballing philosophies that suited the time. Yes. So this is not to do down anything that Neil Warnock achieved. He genuinely has a Midas touch of getting, fa uh, getting teams promoted from the championship or is that now something that we have to change to past tense? Did he? Because he only did it with Cardiff last year. Mm. So is the Neil Warnock way, which we have to admit is a philosophy of its own, albeit slightly different to the ones we've been discussing, is the Neil Warnock way still a legitimate way 
of a club thinking, I want him to take us up because he has done it so successfully in the past. Well, I suppose, Can he do that I suppose Burnley are a similar, not, again, it's slightly different football to cover. That's what I loved about Cardiff. They split Wolves and Fulham, two great footballing teams who played their way out of the championship. Cardiff, again, they, they should, if you look at the, the players that they had and the way that they played, they should never be anywhere near the top six, but they absolutely deserve because they made the very best of what they had and that's what Neil Warnock is very good at he knows he doesn't have the finances to bring in maybe the players that he wants or play in a, in a different way he plays in a way that gets the very best out of the players that he has and says well if I haven't got any money I'm going to play a physical game I'll get the ball forward I'll put pressure on the opponents and we'll see how far that takes us and time and time and time again he's got teams promoted but Cardiff when they got promoted they didn't have the finances to say right we need a whole new team here we, clearly this isn't going to be enough they went close to staying up. They weren't that far away, were they? But actually, they, they probably saw this coming. The one thing they weren't going to do was spend £100 because they know that would cripple the club and it would probably they still might get relegated like Fulham have done. So they were never going to do that. They're going to stick again with their philosophy. In a similar way, Burnley are not the most attractive on the eye, but Sean's kept them in the Premier League. They have been relegated. He's got them back up again. And he's stuck with his way of playing because it's right for Burnley. And... He makes no apology for that. He won't, he won't change because he knows that's not what the Burnley public want. They like to see what they see. So again, there still is that contrast, even though we're saying that the way that clubs set philosophies out now and this, the, the, the way that the teams have got promoted out of the championship play, there is still always teams like Burnley and Cardiff and there always will be and there always should be because not everybody can play the type of football that the three promoted teams have played in the championship this season. It's great to see other ways of playing work. But Warnock is in many ways similar to that idea of throwing a load of money at a championship club to try and get them out. That, that works sometimes. And Warnock often works in terms of being the manager in charge of a team. Like, Warnock often works. Yes. That should like be his little... His, it doesn't work every time. It's on his it? business card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, his but TV then, advert selling his wares. But then you look at his record in terms of longevity in the Premier League and it's not so impressive. So will we see the way that Bournemouth have got into the Premier League and stayed there? What Wolves did in their first season since promotion, it remains to be seen what one or two others are able to do in the longer term. But trying to get that philosophy in place at an earlier stage, sticking with a manager and a process, because you know that ultimately when that moment comes and you are promoted, you might stand a better chance of staying up rather than having that one season burst that then applies the pressure. Cardiff is a big city club. Cardiff are dropping back down into the championship with the immediate expectation that they will challenge again. But as you say, and I saw them a bit that season that they came up as Hodgins, and I absolutely agree with you, they looked nowhere near like they were one of the best three teams in the championship. But up they came, so they're going to drop down again and they might not be able to, to punch above their weight once more. So if the blueprint to succeed in the championship and get up into the Premier League is to certainly in the modern era or the, the, the current era, is to tr try and instigate a philosophy that you then believe in. Who is most important in that? And how robust does that philosophy need to be if you are r up against it in your first season of the Premier League? Is it like a, a Stuart Weber-like director of football? Is it a, a coach who's consistently... Um, instigated his plan of Chris Wilder or is it the transformative coach of Dean Smith who knows how best to do what he does with that group of players in that particular club because you need that philosophy to be robust mm. because come October like Fulham were if you're struggling mm -hmm. 
what do you do? Do you tear it out? Do you see it through, get relegated and come up again? Because that's an incredibly difficult decision for a club's board or owner to make when you have given either money or a whole load of time to put this philosophy into place. You've got to where you wanted to. Your promised land has been reached and yet you've only won one of your first 10 games and you're in the bottom three. What do you do at that point? And how important are those three people that I mentioned to that in, in making that decision? Who do we stick with? Who do we back? Well, to get, to get promoted, clearly all those people need to work together. And that's why the clubs have been promoted this season from the championship, because there has been a philosophy. Everybody from the owners to the coaches to the players, everybody's on the same page with it. When, they get, when you get promoted to the Premier League, the owners or the director of football probably becomes the most important person. Are Sheffield United, Sheffield United in the Premier League? Or are Sheffield United now, a pre- we think of ourselves as a Premier League team, so we do what Premier League teams do. It's easy for me to say, well, actually, I hope they stick to their principles and just apply what they did in the Championship in League One to the Premier League with the addition of maybe four or five more quality players. Not saying all going straight into the team, but being involved in the squad. I'd like to. I would. I would put money on them being okay if they did that. But getting to the Premier League, it's such a huge leap, and suddenly the finances start swirling around as well. It's whether you can keep. You want to keep your identity, your Championship identity, and be that club playing in the Premier League. Fulham presumably felt we're a Premier League club now. We've got all this money. Let's spend it on all these. You know, Schurler and let's sign all these higher profile you know because we're Fulham now we're a Premier League team well why don't you just keep hold of the identity Fulham had from the Championship and apply that to the Premier League rather than thinking of yourself differently and that's when the director it all feeds down from because then he starts to think well if we're a Premier League club now and we've got Chris Wilder or Daniel Farker in charge and there's, there's these top level foreign coaches available are we then well a Premier League club would probably bring someone of, of, of higher repute in or do we say no this guy has proved himself over three years not that we, he deserves a year in the Premier League. It's actually, it's the right thing to do is to stick with this philosophy, stick with him, regardless of what people say about him and not get drawn into, well, other Premier League clubs after 10 games, it's not going so well. Oh, get, get somebody in from Germany. That's and somebody we've heard of. Well, that might not be right for your philosophy. You come down and then you've got to start all over again in the Championship and say, right, clearly we shouldn't have done that. We go back to square one and plan A again and get somebody in who does care about the club, can coach, and we start working backwards. So why not stick with it? But it's easy to say when you're looking at it from the outside. If you're involved in that club, you can presumably panic pretty quickly after, say, 10 games. And that's what the teams that have been promoted have not to do. They have to stick with their principles because that's, their, in my opinion, their best chance of staying up. You want players who want to play for you. You don't want players who just want Premier League money. Needs- well, that's what Chris Wilder said. Exactly. Under 25, hungry and he's, he's going to say Bree wants British players so clearly he's got this, this kind of raft of players in mind that he, he believes will fit with what he's got and will want to play for Sheffield United and have a point to prove and perhaps you can look at the example of Huddersfield who came up stayed up did well won an, an awful lot of praise for, for doing so but then probably just stood still and I'm not sure you could, would you put Huddersfield in the same bracket the teams that got promoted this season from the championship Huddersfield I just think that was so and Cardiff as well was so extraordinary and it, it is in their histories, might be a one-off. Whereas the clubs that have come up, I, I do feel they have a, a better chance of, of staying up than Cardiff or Huddersfield did this season. But this, that's with the benefit of hindsight in terms of the Huddersfield situation. When they came up, 
everybody thought, well, what a, what a brilliant philosophy they had in place. They'd brought in a coach to pull it all together in David Wagner. And not only was he able to pull it all together in terms of getting them promoted from the championship, but he was able to, to use that bounce to keep them in the Premier League. But then they didn't, during that first 12 months, realise what they needed to do to then elevate themselves to a more stabilised Premier League. Club. Huddersfield fans will tell you it's because they lost Stuart Webber to Norwich Absolutely. and that, that, has a, that has a big part to play but also financially they didn't want to cripple themselves they were going to always struggle to encourage players yeah. to come and play unless they offered stupid money so they wanted to stick with their philosophy but probably knew we could only get a certain quality of player that's no disrespect to the Huddersfield Scott, but ultimately they weren't good enough it's not as if they ripped up their, their philosophy and said let's try playing another way and it completely collapsed they stuck with what they knew which again good on them but ultimately they just they weren't good enough what we've learnt this season though it is not all about the money. No. You don't have to spend to succeed. And we've seen it right at the top of the Premier League in terms of what Tottenham have done. And we've seen it in terms of teams getting out of the championship. And it might not be a bad way to move forward. You could argue that Fulham showed a lack of patience and that was their undoing. You, should, you could also argue Or complacency that, and arrogance. That's true. But it, you could also show that Huddersfield maybe had too much patience and that might have been part of their undoing. Um, just you could argue that, I'm not saying that either of those two things are true. But Chinch, one one club, I'm not going to get you to say who's going to do best out of the three because that will only be revealed in your SPM PLPL predictions uh, for next season. I do not want to preempt that grand uh, revelation. So, so I tip them to stay up. Relegation <laughs> certainties. Exactly. Because it, you know, it also, but you've got to bear in mind the recruitment that happens over the next few weeks. But which of those three clubs that have been promoted do you think will show the most patience next season? Uh, Sheffield United. And, and, and Norwich Sheffield United and Norwich I think so Villa which of those clubs all no 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 because I put Sheffield United and Norwich in a, a similar kind of situation because their philosophies are the trouble is at Sheffield United there's a bit of a power struggle going on for ownership of the club which Chris Wilder is concerned about and there's been talk about West Brom being interested in Chris Wilder as well so that still, is the problem that still, could yeah. whoever takes over the club again do they think right we're a Premier League club now doesn't matter what we've achieved I'm going to do this with the club so I think Chris is worried that the philosophy will get dispensed with he might get dispensed with not in a self way but thinks this this wouldn't be right because of what we've achieved it's taken time actually not that long was it two promotions in three years I think it is isn't it so again they've achieved it very quickly but a new owner one of the first things they want to do is maybe put a stamp of rather than keeping it the same which is probably the right thing to do they might think well I need a new coach in and a, a bigger name maybe but that's insane isn't it why would you but, buy no, into has, something successful and immediately it, try and change it because the owners Shai, with money Shai think Khan they know best and his son did they know that best. with Fulham and that might be one of the so reasons Norwich, Norwich will not change that. whether that means they'll stay up or go down it could be I think all three will be you're probably looking at in the, in the bottom eight but you know, look at what Wolves did and if, if you get those two or three extra players the, the way that they play isn't a problem at all for all three clubs it's who's actually going to be at those clubs and Villa have the biggest problem because of their loan signings who did really well for them Tammy Abraham Tyrone Mings are those players going to it's not straightforward so they've got a hell of a lot of work to do and they've got promoted the last of the three teams as well so suddenly they've got to put their summer plans into place so Villa will be under more pressure and might not have the quality They'll still have the philosophy, but maybe not the quality they had last season. If you took the Villa team from the playoff final and played a full season in the Premier League, I'd, I'd back them to stay up, but I'm not sure about their personnel. But Sheffield United, you know, I just think with that ownership problem, Norwich, things will not change at Norwich. Things will absolutely, They'll be like Huddersfield, because that's, that's Stuart Webber's way. And he, he'll probably know that at Norwich they do have better quality players than at Huddersfield. So there's maybe a, a chance of keeping Norwich in the Premier League for four or five seasons, because ultimately their quality of players is good and their recruitment process is excellent as well but it's going to get tested once you get promoted 
players want more money, so Which, there's so many tests for I'm, them. I'm confused. The answer to the question is Norwich. Is that I, the answer I, to the question? I, I can't even remember Norwich. what the question was. Most it's not patient. patient. It's just that their philosophy won't no, no, change. No, that, that was my, that was yeah. my question. It's so, a direct question. Answer it directly. Well, I wouldn't say it's patience, Hugh. I changed no, the. No, if I was you, I'd change a question to give an answer that you would prefer to give. A good interviewer. I'm, I'm giving you the question, yes. and I would like an answer to it, which will be most patient. Do you know what John Humphreys would do? He would change the question he when you realise it's a silly, silly question. No, he would. Patience is the wrong word. Continue blind and deaf to the answers, and he would say, "What is the answer?" Norwich. So Norwich, Norwich, Norwich will continue to do what they've done right, so before. So they'll be the most patient. Um, not necessarily Sky patient. With this, no. <laughs> let's have a, let's have a chat ahead of the game with Andy Hinchcliffe. Andy, who do you think is going to win? Well, there's compelling arguments for both teams, you know, and you could argue that might even finish as a draw. Thanks. That's, You've asked uh, me that question. Can sacked. I answer another question, which no. I think is better? You could do this instead. It's time for never mind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story! So then Andy tells a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed, and with no prevarication and sitting on the fence. Well, being such a, an extraordinary player with, with so much talent, it was natural I was going to travel the globe. Uh, stop, no, don't say anything. Don't switch your microphones back on again. To, you don't need to interject here. Just let it, just let it, okay, then, it's then out our, there. Our protestations will be off mic. Clearly, the, the, my talent was going to take me to, to, you can shout all you want. It's not going to get picked up. I went, I didn't play in Skegness, but they missed out. So, been to America stormed America a bit like the Beatles um, but one person rather than four I found it it was easy for me but anyway so this was a trip to Australia a trip to Australia I think I might have mentioned the story when I met Brian Clough out in Australia oh, when Man City now. Um, yes you did yes oh good well Thank done you. The only he was the only person in, in, on, in Australia who'd heard of you previously <laughs> oh no he, he, he'd heard of me alright Steve fan. oh big yes fan. but I wasn't but signing that contract Pierce. with a big fat gold pen there's no way I was signing that but anyway this was so this was late 80s and there was a so we got wind of this we might be going to Australia at the end of the season so I'm thinking this is amazing we're going to go into the Gold Coast this is the sunshine this is going to be glorious imagine going to Australia and playing so I was only kind of 20 years old so it's kind of amazing all the young lads that I'd grown up with so we're all going to be on this trip with some of the senior pro it was going to be amazing so obviously a hell of a long trip but Australia's quite a long way away I don't know whether you're aware of that <laughs> you'll, you'll know that because of your, all your globe trotting yes yes but um, you take sleeping pills and you watch a couple of films you don't really <laughs> notice but anyway so we get to Australia so there's, our cells are there Forest are there as well so it's kind of they've, they've got a couple of Premier League teams out there to play the strange thing was, it was glorious weather, so it's mid-20s, 26, 27 degrees, glorious weather. Only when we get there do we find out that we're actually playing an indoor tournament. <laughs> Seriously. Why would you... Why? Why? That's the question. Why would you go... Why would you, why would you go to Bury in the summer and play an indoor tournament? Why go to the Gold Coast of Australia and then say, so we're thinking, great, we're getting on the coach to go to the... So where are we going to? Is it a lovely stadium? Well, it's, it's a building, right? Is it, it's a football pitch. Is it grass? Kind of. It's green. And indoor, and it was absolutely boiling as well. The audience, the, the, obviously the, the, the crowds turned up because they knew I'd be there. And I was a great set. We got beaten in the final, which was a tragedy. But... If, if I'd have been able to play 11-a-side football with boards down the sides, all, all around the... I could play one-twos off the boards and that. I was amazing. With yourself. With myself. <laughs> Absolutely. Extra I think that's what tipped Brian Clough to my, to my greatness. And that's why he wanted to sign me, because I was incredible at five-a-side with boards all around the pitch. The only problem was when I went 11-a-side with no boards... I was crap. But anyway, how can you go to... I just You wouldn't do that. That would just be bonkers these days. Why would you so go and play an indoor tournament it, in one of the most glorious places on earth? Which month was it? 
It's in the summer, so the season had just finished. So we're our summer, to, yeah. so their winter. Yeah, you understand how yeah, that but works. It's still warm. It's still it's still boiling Actually, hot. Gold, isn't Gold it? Coast is up, up the coast, isn't it? More more tropical. It is. Yeah, but they they're not looking at it in those terms. They're not thinking, oh, it's it's summer. We need to get outside. They're like they're being a bit more cautious. Yeah, but who who set this up? Was it the Australians or was it, who promoted this trip? They're I presume tip- we've been invited over. They're tiptoeing around the occasion like we would do. You know, an FA Cup tie in January. You know, might go ahead, might not. It's, it's like playing the Masters in Qatar. What's the, it's just clearly you'd have to play that indoors because you've got no choice. That happens all the time. Tw- and like a cool 21-22 would have been uh, on the outside of uh, Gold Coast during the June-July period. That kind of condi- why would Google. you? Why would you go inside? Yeah, but they've got a big coat on in that weather. Yeah, but we didn't, did we? Yeah, they're not worried about you, though. Oh, that's ridiculous. They didn't think about the players. They just thought about selfishly thought about the fans. What are they doing? No wonder the Australian football's terrible. If you have a soccer story, please send them to setbeesmenu at gmail.com. If you have any details about why that uh, tournament might be taking place indoors because you happen to live on the Gold Coast, mm. please do send that also to setbeesmenu at gmail.com. You can also get in touch via Twitter or Facebook. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Steve and Andy and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I got a, a message off Katie the other day by the way and it was a bit bizarre because she said how many caps did Andy Hinchcliffe win for England why do you care about this so well, I've just been having a chat with Rory little Rory not big Rory and uh, he's decided that he wants to be a footballer like Chinch but he's already set himself the target of surpassing your England caps accumulation so he wanted to know just how hard he was going to have to work I think he was quite relieved when he discovered that eight would do it does he know he's only he's a small child clearly he's a fool um does he know how much hard work how much work in the gym he's going to have to undertake to become the fine physical specimen that gets even even one England cap is is hard to achieve Stephen seven is the stuff of... Uh, it's superhuman. Well, maybe next eight, time you're around, you can explain it to eight. him. Eight. He's not four, is he? You know what I mean? He's got a bit of work to do, but I can... I don't want to dash his dreams. I have to tell him, basically, it's never going to happen. <laughs> but I don't want to dash his dreams completely. Being an architect is a very good career. Very good career. But he's not going to get eight England caps. Look, that just, isn't going to happen. What, what the odds are? What the odds are? If we could go to a bookies and say... There is a figure, this, isn't it? We've There's got this young chap who... And not, but not just play for England. Play for England eight times. And then stop. Like, for example, then Lee Sharp or Kerry Dixon or Alan Devonshire. See, wasn't, was I stopped? <laughs> Devonshire got eight, did he? Yeah. Did I stop or was I stopped through... Phys- no, I, was, I wasn't yeah. very good. You stopped was by I? yourself. Yeah. yeah. He does have quite a few aches and pains a lot, a lot of the time. You know, growing pains. So, mm. maybe, you know, he, he could potentially follow he, in your footsteps in that regard. Does he, does he strike you as a marauding, technically gifted fullback? Or what? Because he clearly wouldn't be able to play Matt my position as well as I eight did. Eight caps. Is he as talented as is that? Matt all Matt Letizier got? Yeah, that's an absolute scandal. That is that. That's bad, isn't it? Look, I just thought Chinch <laughs> would want to know that he has inspired an ambition in my son. Mm. So maybe you'd have a little word with him next time you see Mark him. Mark Chamberlain, Alex Oxlake Chamberlain's dad. Eight caps. So wait a minute, Letizier eight caps. I got so I'm seven eighths. What's that as a percentage? Eighty is that about eighty four percent? That's why he was eighty four percent of the player. That's quite weighty, actually, isn't it? Because Matt carrying a bit of timber, wasn't he? So if I was 84% of Matt Letizier, that's a good 16 stone, isn't it?